We direct your attention to the Word of God, to the Gospel of Luke. This is our summer series on the parables, and Paul Goebel has selected this parable for this morning, beginning there in verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Reach over and take your big red hymnal and turn to page 871. Right at the very back, it's about 940 pages in this hymnal. But look to page 871. This, of course, as you've suspected, is more than just a hymnal. It's a worship book, a service book. It has scripture readings, and it also has in the back, as you'll see, two of our three standards of our church, the Westminster Standards, the Confession of Faith, the shorter catechism, which you're looking at now, and the larger catechism. Um, hold your finger or your thumb or put your bulletin in that spot, and then just lay your hymnal aside for just a moment, because we're going to go back to that particular place in a moment. This is a very familiar parable to most of us, and it's pretty poignant. Uh, it's a simple contrast. It's interesting the audiences the Lord directs, and Luke gives us more detail in this regard than the other Gospels. In this particular instance, he's talking to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is the self-righteous. This is the people who are trusting in their own merits, their own works, their own goodness, their own good intentions, their own righteousness in order to be justified before the Lord. The title of the message Paul has given us is trust. And these are the people who trust in themselves. And beyond that, because they trust in themselves and they have this view of themselves, they're tempted to look at others who do not measure up to what they think their own personal standard of conduct is, their own righteousness, and they look upon them with contempt. And we see this is what happened. We had a Pharisee, the word means separated one, and he did. He stood far off. He didn't want to be associated with sinners. And he prayed a prayer on the time of prayer, probably three o'clock in the afternoon was the, the uh, time of prayer in the temple. And he's praying a prayer, and it's a good prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. 
<laughs> He's thanking the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. We are called upon to thank the Lord and to praise Him at all times. But His prayer is a thanksgiving to God that He, the Pharisee himself, has a righteousness. And He enumerates this aspects of this righteousness. He's especially glad that He is separated. He's not like other people who are extortioners and adulterers and so forth. For example, and it's a good example, I'm not like this tax collector, this publican. And I think you're all familiar with the status of the publican or the tax collector in the ancient world in, in the days of the New Testament. They worked for the government, the imperial government of Rome, and they were given a lot of latitude in their tax collecting tactics and they could extort and we run across a few other tax collectors in the New Testament. Matthew, Levi, the one who wrote the gospel, the disciple of Jesus, was a publican, a tax collector by trade. We are familiar with Zacchaeus, the wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree, the Lord for to see. He was a tax collector and had extorted and cheated people. So this Pharisee was feeling pretty good about his own righteousness. And I think for the most part, that's where we are. If we do a self-examination at a certain level, we come out looking pretty good. Especially by comparison. Almost always that anyone that wants to insist upon their own goodness, their own righteousness, their own uprightness, will do so in comparison to others. Never do they look at the absolute high standards of God's righteousness first, but they look to the common denominator. They look to others. And you can really feel good about yourself if you live around people that are manifestly less righteous than you. Especially if you're in close proximity to a tax collector, a publican, a sinner by repute. You can look at that person with some contempt, as the scripture says, and you can say, I am not like that person. So the Pharisee was trusting in himself. He was righteous in his own eyes. He was upright. He was a religious man, a good man. He was faithful in every way to his religion and he like many of the others that Jesus pointed to earlier in his ministry would stand in the temple and pray in such a way that you would know just how good a man he was he fasted twice a week he was faithful in his giving uh, those are things that manifest religion and uprightness and goodness and self um, righteousness beyond the average. Few people fast twice a week. Few people give the sums that they're able to give, that is sacrificially and regularly and faithfully. So the Pharisee had a lot to commend himself, and he did. He commended himself to the Lord. But the publican did not need a sermon on the law. Sinners Real sinners know they're sinners. 
And Jesus did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but he came to call sinners. Men and women, boys and girls, who have seen just a glimpse of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, who kept the law perfectly, who lived perfectly, will begin to realize that they are severely fallen short. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the cheats, in the day of Jesus, they knew they were sinners. And they knew they had but one hope. And that was the mercy of God. That somehow God in His mercy would look upon them and not impute their sins, but somehow God would find a way to forgive their sins, to atone for their sins, to purge their sins, to expiate, to take away their sins, to cover their sins, to remove their sins as far as the east is from the west, sink them in the deepest sea and remember them against them no more. And all you can do in that case is call on the mercy of God. And that's what the publican did. And Jesus declared that he went down to his house righteous. That's what that word justify means. In fact, it's the same word in the original text. It's just translated variously depending on the need of the English reader. He was righteous. He had a righteousness of some sort. He had a righteousness from somewhere. He had a righteousness that justified him before God. Isn't that remarkable? One man had all this to offer, genuinely. I'm not here to poor mouth the Pharisees because I don't think anybody in this room lived up to the righteousness of the Pharisees. Honestly, I know I don't. They were righteous men. But Jesus said your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees in order to have the kingdom of God. Now the moral of the parable is found in verse 14. And Jesus uses this moral in, on other occasions. He told a story about a wedding feast and, and how people would move to the front of the feast and then they would be sent back and others would be brought forward. And it was a matter of, of sort of humiliating and exalting. And Jesus uses the same moral in that story, but here it has a very, very definite application. And here's the moral of the story. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's it. This is an antithetical parallelism. It is saying, obviously, two opposite things. The one who exalts himself will be humbled. And it says, interestingly enough, everyone. And I'll read that to mean exactly what the New Testament tells us, and that is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we want to describe 
the persons that exalt themselves, we're talking about everyone. We all have the tendency to justify ourselves before men, before each other, and sadly even before the Lord's people and even the Lord Himself. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And then the other half of the parallelism says, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's who I'm here to tell you about this morning. The one who humbled himself and was exalted. These are often called the two estates of Christ. The state of his humiliation and the state of his exaltation. And that's Christ. He's the one who genuinely humbled himself. And as our passage of Scripture we quoted this morning in our confession from Philippians 2 says, He humbled Himself and became obedient even to death. That one who humbled Himself is the one then that God exalted in His resurrection, in His ascension, is in seatedness at the right hand of the Father and in His coming again in the clouds of glory. This is what our little shorter catechism, take your red book, and let's ask the question and answer the question. Page 871, we're in the shorter catechism. Question 27. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Read together. Christ's humiliation consisted in His being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. What the Shorter Catechism puts in one question and summarizes in the answer we just read. The larger Catechism, the third of the standards of our church, spells it out a little more. How did Christ humble Himself in His conception and birth? Christ humbled Himself in His conception and birth in that being from all eternity the Son of God, in the bosom of the Father, He was pleased in the fullness of time to become the Son of Man, made of a woman of low estate, and to be born to her with various circumstances of more than ordinary deprivation. Question 48 of the larger. How did Christ humble Himself in His life? Christ humbled Himself in His life by subjecting Himself to the law, which He perfectly fulfilled. 
and by enduring the indignities of the world, the temptations of Satan and infirmities in his flesh, whether common to the nature of man or particularly accompanying his low condition. How did Christ humble Himself in His death? Christ humbled Himself in His death in that having been betrayed by Judas, forsaken by the disciples, scorned and rejected by the world, condemned by Pilate and tormented by His persecutors, having also conflicted with the terrors of death and the powers of darkness, having felt and borne the weight of God's wrath, He laid down His life an offering for sin, enduring the painful, shameful, and cursed death of the cross. In what did Christ's humiliation consist after His death? Christ's humiliation after His death consisted in His being buried and continuing in the state of the dead and under the power of death until the third day, which had been otherwise expressed in these words, he descended into hell. There's the one who humbled himself. And he did it for sinners. He didn't do it for the righteous. The whole have no need of a physician. But it's those who are sin sick. Those who have nothing in them spiritually but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores where the whole body is sick from the head to the foot. And there is no righteousness in us at all. Now open your hymnal again to the same page. I sure hope you didn't close it. Page 871, at the top of the page there on the right-hand side, is the next question. Wherein consisteth Christ's exaltation? Let's read together. Christ's exaltation consisteth in His rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father and in coming to judge the world at that last day. That's His exaltation. God raised Him up and raised Him up again and raised Him up again and raised Him to the highest, to the heir of the universe, from a corpse in the pit, in the heart of the earth, the dust of death, God raised him to the highest place in the created order. Listen to the words of the larger again. How was Christ exalted in his resurrection? Christ was exalted in his resurrection in that having not seen decay in death, in which it was not possible for him to be held, and having the very same body in which he suffered with all of its essential properties, but without mortality and other common infirmities belonging to this life, 
really, that is his body, really united to his soul. He rose again from the dead the third day by his own power, whereby he declared himself to be the Son of God, to have satisfied divine justice, to have vanquished death and him who had the power of it, and to be Lord of the living and the dead. All this he did as a representative person. He was doing this in the place representing someone else. All this he did as a representative person, the head of his church, for their justification, making them alive in grace, supporting them against enemies, and assuring them of their resurrection from the dead at the last day. That's what Christ was doing when He came out of that tomb. He was raised for our justification so that we, like the publican, could go down to our house justified. But justified in the representative work of Christ. Not in our, as the text says, trusting in our own righteousness. Here are a couple of more questions. How was Christ exalted in His ascension? Christ was exalted in His ascension in that having after His resurrection often appeared to and conversed with the apostles, speaking to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, giving them commission to preach the gospel to all nations. Forty days after His resurrection, He in our nature and as our head, triumphing over enemies, visibly went up into the highest heavens, there to receive gifts for men, to raise up our affections in that way, and to prepare a place for us where He is and shall continue to be until His second coming at the end of the world. The exaltation. How is Christ exalted in His sitting at the right hand of God? Christ is exalted in His sitting at the right hand of God in that as God-man, He has advanced to the highest favor with God the Father, with all fullness of joy, glory, and power over all things in heaven and earth, and does gather and defend His church, subdue their enemies, furnish His ministers and people with gifts and graces, and makes intercession for them. The following question, how does Christ make intercession? Christ makes intercession by His appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven. Did you know Christ continues in His humanity? Seated at the right hand of the Father is a, is a human being, a man, about 5, 9, 10, 11, whatever. Light tan skin, two eyes, a nose, two hands, two feet. Perfect human flesh. Jesus Christ, the ascended, bodily raised, Son of God, our man in heaven interceding for us. Where was I? Let me start over. Christ makes intercession by His appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven in the merit of His obedience and sacrifice on earth, declaring His will to have applied to all believers, answering all accusations against them, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ and obtaining for them peace of conscience 
notwithstanding daily failings. I'll praise the Lord for that. Access with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of them and their services. Finally, how is Christ to be exalted in His coming again to judge the world? Christ is to be exalted in His coming again to judge the world in that He, who was unjustly judged and condemned by wicked men, shall come again at the last day in great power and in the full display of His own glory and of His Father's with all His holy angels, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, to judge the world in righteousness. By God's grace, and in answer to the publican's prayer, by God's mercy, and in Christ, you and I can go down to our house in a little while, justified.